Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words. So listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast. And as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener... I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Hello again and welcome to A Million Other Choices. As always, I am your host, Kim. First of all, I just have to mention that there is action and chaos happening in my house today, so there might be some background noise. I do try to record when the house is empty, but as you know, when you have a family, those opportunities are pretty rare, um, and it is an old house, so noise does travel. Apologies, but today's case does involve yet another murder of a young child. There just seems to be a lot of them, and their stories are just so important to tell. I started writing and researching this case and then wondering why it was so hard to find any background information. Um, And I even put in a call to one of my favorite homicide detectives to see if I could talk to the primary that was on this case, Um, but he doesn't work homicide anymore. And then I got almost done with my research and then realized that the sentencing hearing hasn't even taken place yet. So I kind of jumped the gun again. But unfortunately, while I've been waiting, the butt weasel in this case keeps delaying his sentencing hearing by, well, first he was demanding a redo of his psych assessment. And then in just in January of 2022, he wanted to change his legal aid lawyers after parting ways with Alan Fay for what is called irreconcilable differences. Um, I couldn't find any reports of a sentence yet, but we are going to charge on with this case anyways because it was one of my top picks for Calgary cases that I wanted to cover pretty much since I started this podcast. If I do get any updates between recording this and its release, I will pop in a quick note about it. This is the murder of Ivy Wick of Calgary. Around 11 a.m. on Wednesday, September 27, 2017, 911 received a call from a man saying that his three-year-old stepdaughter, Ivy, was unresponsive after she'd tripped and fallen. When emergency crews arrived at the townhouse, 
on the 5300 block of Rundlehorn Drive in the city's northeast, they found Ivy unconscious and unresponsive. Ivy's mom, Helen Woodsworth, was still in her towel from the shower that she had just taken and her hair was still wet. She was completely distraught. 27-year-old stepdad Justin Bennett told emergency personnel that Ivy had fallen off of her bed and hit her head and seemed fine at first but was unresponsive when Helen got out of the shower, so he called 911. Paramedics are immediately suspicious of the story because Ivy's injuries were pretty severe, so they transport her as quickly as they can to the Alberta Children's Hospital. Once there, doctors who assessed her injuries and were sadly forced to put her on life support, determined that there is no way her injuries were caused by any kind of fall. There were just too many injuries, some were older, starting to heal, and some were fresh. The following day, one of Helen's friends starts a GoFundMe page stating, quote, A very special girl in our world is experiencing the most terrifying thing anyone could face. Meet Ivy, a very spunky, fun, charismatic, and incredible little girl. She's strong-willed and a force in her, in her own. However, an accident happened and she sustained a major brain injury. She is still in the ICU at Alberta Children's Hospital under incredible care with her mommy and daddy beside her praying, kissing, and talking to her to make sure she stays strong. The fund was started to help enable Justin and Helen to spend time with Ivy while she hopefully recovered. Because the doctors felt that Ivy's injuries didn't match the story that they're being told by her parents, the child abuse unit was called in to investigate. The timing of her injury to being unresponsive and her living conditions told investigators that only people close to her within the couple of hours preceding her death could have caused the injuries. And that was Helen Woodworth and Justin Bennett. These injuries, um, when you bring a child into the the the, uh, the children's hospital they they see children hundreds of children every week and you can very quickly see the difference between injuries that are uh, from a fall or uh, a child gets injured in the normally the normal comings and goings that children get involved in so if they're playing tag or whatever um, I can say that these injuries um, were there's no question that these injuries were significant Sadly, eight days later, on October 5th, 2017, little Ivy Wick succumbed to her many injuries. The homicide unit became the primary investigators, and while the autopsy was being completed, they put their focus on interviewing Helen and Justin. Sadly, eight days later, on October 5th, 2017, little Ivy Wick succumbed to her many injuries. The homicide unit became the primary investigators, and while the autopsy was being completed, they put their focus on Helen and Justin. The Calgary Police Service is investigating the suspicious death of a three-year-old girl who passed away earlier this month. At approximately 11.30 a.m. on Wednesday, September 27, 2017, emergency crews were called to a home in the 5300 block of Rundlehorn Drive, northeast for a report of a child in medical distress. The girl, identified as Ivy Wick, was transported to hospital where she, where she eventually succumbed to her injuries on Thursday, October 5th, 2017. Ivy's death was initially being handled by the CPS Child Abuse Unit. However, 
Following an autopsy and further investigation, the homicide unit is now leading the case. Her death has not been ruled a homicide by the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner as further test results are pending. However, the case is being investigated as such. Detectives do not believe Ivy's death was random, and with most child-suspicious deaths, investigators are focused on those individuals who had access to her on the day she suffered her injuries. Several individuals have been interviewed in connection with this case. The investigation has determined at the time of the incident, Ivy was living with her mother and her mother's boyfriend, who was not Ivy's biological father. Doctors who assessed Ivy upon her arrival at hospital do not believe her injuries to be consistent with a fall of any kind. At this point, Ivy's death wasn't officially ruled a homicide as they were still waiting for those autopsy results, but it was already looking highly suspicious. Another GoFundMe page was started, this one reading, now this is word for word, so no, I have not lost my ability to read or use grammar. This little girl names is Ivy Wick. She was born July 12, 2104, and ended up passing away October 5th at 2.19 p.m. She was rushed to the hospital after she fell off her bed and hit her head. After her needing brain surgery, she ended up going into unstable condition where she didn't wake up and ended up passing away. I am trying to raise money to help her parents and family pay for funeral costs. But listen to what the police have to say about this. Uh, the, the GoFundMe page, <clears throat> I have two things to say about that. Is, uh, um, whenever a GoFundMe page is created, the police have nothing to do with that. That's something that either friends or family typically will endeavor to uh, start up for the family. Uh, the second thing is, is there was injuries that were um, articulated on the GoFundMe page. And I can say that um, um, uh, the, uh, the way that it was articulated on the GoFundMe page in no way in no way reflects the injuries on this child. The investigators know that Helen and Justin were the only two people who would have or could have caused Ivy's injuries that led to her death. They are also pretty sure that there was a history of abuse before her actual death. Now, there are quite a few photos of Ivy that were released to the media, including ones with her mother, Helen, and other than the one in her hospital bed, which is completely heartbreaking. All of them show an adorable, smiling little blonde girl who looks pretty tall for her age, showing off her teeth and one of those smiles that just wrinkles up her nose. In one, she's wearing a bright yellow t-shirt, which accentuates her blonde hair, which is up in like a single braid down her back, which appears neatly done with some expertise. The second one, her hair is up in a ponytail and she's wearing this coordinated velour purple pants with a pink shirt with an embroidered heart on it with very cool looking sneakers. The last one, and probably the most used, she's standing in front of the TV in her family room. This time her hair is up in half-do with these sprigs of hair spilling out over the top of her head like a little sprinkler. She's wearing a red and white polka dot summer jumper. What no one seems to report on is the fact that, to me, it's quite obvious that there is a bruise on her right cheek and a cut above her right eye. Despite this, she is still smiling for whoever is behind the camera. 
The fact that she's so well-dressed and care is obviously taken with her daily grooming seems to contradict this accusation of prior abuse. But her injuries don't lie. Someone brutally attacked this little peanut, and the police are bound and determined to get to the bottom of it. But rather than start with interviewing Justin and Helen, they decide to first get their ducks in a row and talk to the people who would have seen and had encounters with Ivy and her parents. Then they can go into the interviews with them, knowing what information they should be cooperating or refuting. For now, they leave the talking to Justin and Helen to child abuse investigators, who report back that there had been a a prior hospital visit that did appear suspicious. It would be several months before Ivy's autopsy report was returned to the investigators. As suspected, Ivy had died of blunt force trauma to the head with multiple points of impact. Now this is where information starts to get really scarce. I know that Justin is not Ivy's biological father and that the bio dad was interviewed early on in the investigation but was not part of any further investigation, suggesting that perhaps he wasn't really involved in Ivy's life after her birth. I don't know how long Justin and Helen were together. Court records put Justin at 24 at the time of Ivy's death and Helen appears to be around the same age. It's not really clear until later in the investigation that the focus is actually on Justin rather than Helen. And based on the pictures of Ivy with her mom, I would have probably come to the same conclusion. Helen appeared pretty loving in her pictures with her little girl and the care that was taken with Ivy's clothes and her hair and just general appearance of good health for the most part would suggest that Helen hadn't beaten her child into a coma that she never came out of. Uh, And it was quickly apparent to anyone following the story that the story changed. First she had tripped and fell, then she fell off the bed. It just seems pretty fishy from the get-go. With the one-year anniversary of Ivy's murder quickly approaching, police hold the following press conference. An autopsy conducted by the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner revealed that Ivy died as a result of blunt force trauma. Additional non-fatal injuries were located on Ivy's body and are believed to be consistent with physical abuse. Investigators have previously released that at the time of this incident, Ivy was living with her mother and her mother's boyfriend, who is not Ivy's biological father. Police believe that these were the only people with direct access to Ivy the day she was taken to hospital. Detectives have spoken with both individuals, however their statements are inconsistent with the evidence that has been collected thus far. Given the injuries that Ivy has sustained, it is possible that additional people may have noticed signs of abuse or been aware of abuse prior to Ivy's death. Investigators are looking to speak with anyone that may have information about this case. Anyone with information is asked to contact the police non-emergency line, the homicide tip line at 403-428-8877, or Crime Stoppers Anonymously. Obviously, uh, there may be family members that we have not spoken to. I'm also encouraging anyone who lives in and around uh, 5300 uh, block of Rundlehorn Drive, uh, neighbors that may have heard a disturbance, um, screaming, yelling, or may have uh, had concerns for Ivy's welfare, um, noticed any uh, unexplained bruising, uh, any trauma to Ivy leading up to uh, September 27th. So we're looking for anyone who had contact uh, with Ivy, uh, Ivy's uh, biological mom or the boyfriend, 
uh, probably six months, up to six months prior to uh, her death. Um, so I can certainly say that um, there has been um, some, some medical-related events there. Um, as far as uh, police involvement, no. I would use the word uh, uncooperative, and we do not believe their statements to be truthful. Uh, as I mentioned, we have spoken to the biological mother and her boyfriend. Um, we did give them an offer, opportunity to tell us the truth, and we do not believe they're truthful at this time. Based on the autopsy report that we have recent, recently received, um, we definitely want to speak to people who lived in and around that area, other family members, or anyone that was concerned uh, with Ivy's welfare, and we're certainly encouraging to come forward, either to police directly or through Crime Stoppers. It's very important for our investigation. Well, what I can say from um, you know, our investigation is that Ivy had uh, injuries that were not consistent with, with um, what we believe is an accident. Um, and obviously some of the injuries that she had, um, we need to explain. We certainly have to, to uh, gather as much evidence as possible. Um, certainly uh, a, a charge uh, in relation to, to a homicide is, is uh, you know, the burden of proof is, is very high. Um, we certainly want to gather all the evidence uh, that's pertinent to this um, now. And then uh, certainly we'll be in consultation with the Crown Prosecutor's Office, but we're hoping that other people may be able to further our investigation. I, I can't really get into um, the specifics of, of injuries because this is an active investigation, but I think it would be fair to say in relation to your question um, that um, we're certainly uh, suspicious uh, that abusive behavior was occurring and injuries related to that behavior uh, would be observed um, by family members or people that came in contact with Ivy. I think it's quite unusual that the police would be so forthcoming with naming a suspect before any charges were laid. Clearly, they are pissed about this case and want justice for little Ivy. So shortly after Ivy's autopsy was released to investigators and they're ready to hit the ground running and put together a case, Justin made a new friend, or rather, group of friends. And it's a good thing his friends came along when they did because the poor boy was almost homeless when Mr. Big and his associates rolled up on him and offered him a job. Homelessness is usually next on the list when you spend all of your time playing video games and smoking pot. So he was easily lured in with a promise of cash. $9,000, in fact, over a six-month period for road trips to Edmonton and Regina for drop-offs of some sort. On September 6, 2018, Justin sat down with Mr. Big. Now, normally, you are motivated to confess to Mr. Big because you have a reason to believe you might get kicked out if you don't fess up. Loyalty and honesty are most valued to Mr. Big. So normally what we see is Mr. Big telling someone that, hey, we know what you did, you need to tell us everything and be honest about it. But in Justin's case, he actually went to Mr. Big because he had this nasty legal problem hanging over him that he wanted some help with so that he could be free to stay in this crime organization and continue to make money for them doing whatever they asked of him. Now, he later tried to claim in court that after hearing some of the members of this group had beat up a woman that he wanted out, but he was afraid of them. But his father had said that he was in too deep now and needed to stick it out. But on cross-examination, he admitted that he was told by Mr. Big that he could, quote, dip out of here 
and he thought that that meant that he would be out be out for good, but he still wanted in. When asked if he stayed because he wanted to continue with them, or if he stayed because he was scared, he had this little tidbit to say, quote, Well, at that time, I was scared. Yes, that's quite a bit different between then and the end of the organization. I wasn't reaping any benefit at the time they were beating up that girl. I wasn't getting anything. After I showed my worth, they started buying me stuff, taking me out to fancy restaurants. So I'm getting stuff now. My life is turning around. I've seen everything I can get. What he tells Mr. Big is that he had a video game addiction and Ivy, sweet little peanut, interrupted his playing one fateful day. Hi, this is Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans, a show about interesting and quirky human behavior. We bring humor, empathy, and warmth to topics such as relationships, dating, work, self-compassion, weddings, phobias, aging parents, travel mishaps, death, and many more. Ever wonder what happens at a cuddle party? We talk about it. Free-range kids in restaurants? We've got some thoughts. Bedtime stories for adults? We're on it. Light, fun, unscripted conversation and personal stories. Please join us by clicking the link in the show notes. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. you heard all of that clearly, but basically Helen told Ivy to stand in the corner on that morning because she was misbehaving. Just normal stuff, so like a timeout. Then Helen went to shower and Ivy's crying in the corner was distracting Justin from Call of Duty, so he gave her a dirty look. 
And when that didn't get the result that he wanted, he went over to her and punched her on top of her head. Quote, she looked up at me after I punched her in the head. She looked at me and said, I'm sorry, daddy. And that enraged me. After she looked at me and said, sorry, I just fucking threw her against the wall. Fuck your sorry, basically. I threw her up against the wall. I basically grabbed her by the side of the head and just pushed her, pushed her pretty hard. I snapped. She was dazed. She looked at me. I could see the dazed look in her face. But at that point, she was able to get up. She got fucked up. I saw it on her face. After I smacked her head off the wall, she was pretty dazed. Couldn't walk a straight line. Justin then said that Ivy stood up and was screaming and that Helen called out from the shower. Of course, Helen thinks that she's just still in the corner. Called out from the shower for her to go to her room. Obviously, she does not realize what was happening at the time. And as she started running to her room, Justin said he purposely tripped her. Have I mentioned that I hate this butt weasel? He says she smashed her head again. He said that while Ivy had struck her head on the floor, it was like a hardwood floor, but she was still able to get up to run to her bedroom. But that when he went in to check on her, she was lying on the floor unconscious. As for the warped reasoning for his actions, he said that he never actually lost his temper with his own son. But for some reason with Ivy, he said, quote, I couldn't control myself sometimes. She was just so fucking ungrateful all the time. I have like a kind of hate towards her. I was tired of it. So tired of taking care of an ungrateful kid. One that doesn't fucking respect anything. He also admitted that it wasn't the first time he had acted like a baboon with this young precious child saying, quote, I fucking smacked her around a couple of times. End quote. He, of course, never told anyone about what he had done, leaving Helen to be crucified in the media as the suspected culprit and leaving her to think that he was just a regular old grief-stricken dad. Although he did say to the undercover officer that, quote, I tried to kill myself after that so I didn't have to face any repercussions with anything. I thought it might be an easy way out. I don't want to be labeled a monster. Too late, Justin, too late. In November 2020, at his trial, even after this confession, the defense counsel still tried to pin it on Helen. But fortunately, the Mr. Big operation was admissible. Court of Queen's bench Justice Blair Nixon said, quote, I find that Ivy's injuries did not occur as a result of a simple trip and fall. Rather, I find that the severity of her injuries, as well as multiple impact points, can only be explained by an inflicted cause. I find that the Crown has established beyond a reasonable doubt that Mr. Bennett committed culpable homicide. So he was convicted of second-degree murder which does carry an automatic life sentence and a minimum of 10 years before any parole eligibility. So we will have to wait and see what he gets in the end. But for now, at least he's locked up and serving his life sentence currently. Prosecutor Sue Kendall had this to say about the verdict. So obviously Mr. Spark and I are, are pleased with the outcome today. We feel that this was the just verdict based on all of the evidence. Really, uh, the credit in this case goes to the doctors and the nurses at the Alberta Children's Hospital who uh, made uh, valiant attempts to save uh, young Ivy's life uh, at the time that she was uh, killed. 
and to the members of the Calgary Police Service who did an absolutely outstanding job in investigating this crime and uh, bringing uh, Mr. Bennett to justice. And so we thank them very much for all of the hard work that they did uh, with respect to Ivy's life. And we're hoping now that today's decision will allow Ivy's mother, Helen, and her family the ability for some closure and, and to move on uh, from this horribly tragic event in their lives. Having to testify in a trial uh, with respect to the death of your daughter would have been very, very difficult. Uh, and she really did an admirable job in, in uh, being brave and testifying uh, and giving uh, truthful evidence before the court. Originally, he was to be sentenced on April 20th of 2020, but that has been delayed several times, once because he felt that Dr. Riley Smith, who did his original psych assessment, didn't like him, and then in January of 22, which was two years after his conviction, he still hadn't been sentenced, uh, as he was in isolation due to COVID, telling the court that he was still waiting for legal aid to appoint him a new lawyer. He said, quote, they told me it could take a month or a couple of months. I'm just waiting until my new counsel gets the certificate so she can contact the Crown Prosecutor and get everything started. So it's going to take a little bit of time, end quote. Then in February of 2022, he did get a new lawyer, but they still haven't set a sentencing date. It is getting about ridiculous, considering Ivy was killed in 2017, and we're now in 2022, but at least he's been convicted, and we know that it's a life sentence. Now, speaking of which, I just want to take a second and tell you something that I learned about these 25 to life sentences here in Canada that I didn't know before. And if I didn't know this, maybe you didn't either. I was doing some prep for an interview that I wanted to do with Detective Dave Sweet here in Calgary. He is a homicide detective, and I still really want to talk to him, um, and I'm hoping to do so. But we've had some scheduling difficulties with people getting murdered and needing his help and stuff, and of course, COVID. But anyways, I want to talk to him about his book that he wrote back in 2018 called Skeletons in My Closet. And I will talk to him about it. Um, he is all pumped to be on the podcast, which is great. So it will happen. But in the meantime, I just want to tell you this little thing that I read from his book about life sentences. And I'm just going to read this directly from his book. In Canada, when a person is convicted of either first or second degree murder, their sentence is life, which means until their heart stops beating. On, the first on first degree murder, 25 years is the minimum time before they can apply for parole, not a firm date of release. Only 30% of people serving a life sentence who apply for parole receive it. A common misconception is that a life sentence in Canada equates to 25 years. When an inmate has served through his through to his the parole ineligibility date, the number of years set at the time of sentencing that falls between 10 to 25 years, an inmate may apply for parole. As with any application process, it is not a guaranteed get-out-of-jail-free card. For many inmates, the date will come and go, and they will never be granted parole. Clifford Olson, a notorious serial, child serial killer who died in jail despite applying to get out, is one such example. There are many more. There are those that get out after serving up to their parole and eligibility date. However, they do so with their life sentence continuing to hang over them. What that means is that back in the community, if a convicted murderer breaches his parole conditions, he is returned to incarceration to continue serving his life sentence. Like those in jail, the life sentence for those placed back into society does not end until they are dead. Those consequences are steep 
and require everyone involved in the administration of justice to make sound, principled decisions. So if you've ever been a bit confused about that whole 25 to life thing, hopefully that clears it up. It's a life sentence and you can only ask to be let out on parole after the 25 years is up and you remain basically on parole for the rest of your natural life. And that was the infuriating murder of Little Ivy Wick. And thank you so much for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.